You're listening to the Whitewater Church Podcast. Before we jump in, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and rate and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, or you want to join us in blessing our communities, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org slash give, or click on give in our show notes. Whitewater services are made possible by your generosity in action. Let's dive into this week's message together. Well, hello, Whitewater Church. Uh, My name is Kevin Yee, and I will be giving the message for today. As a hospice chaplain, I get the uh, privilege of being with patients and families in the last months, days, and hours of their lives. And it's a really unique privilege, and you get to hear a lot. A couple years back, I got a phone call from one of my team members saying, hey, Kevin, do you think you can carve out some space today and come and see this family, and specifically the daughter of the patient who had maybe about a week left to live? And I said, sure. And so kind of found out that the daughter has shared POA. That just means power of attorney. It means you can make medical decisions for your loved one um, when they can't make it for themselves. So she actually had shared POA with her brother. But the funny thing was they were actually not talking with one another. There was a divide in the family. She even mentioned that she was like the black sheep of the family. She was really preventing the medical staff and her family from doing the appropriate medication for pain relief as her mom was entering end of life. And so you could see that that was causing a big stir with all the facility staff and the family members. So, hey, Kevin, can you come as a chaplain and just listen and provide support? And I said, sure. So I went into the room and we sat and we talked for over an hour and I intensely listened and really tried to understand where she was coming from. And the only time I really spoke was to give her words of affirmation or to ask clarifying questions. And so she began to share with me how difficult this was, seeing her mom wasting away. And then she began to go into stories, right? She told me how in that year, it had been one of the most special years of her life because she had been disconnected from her mom. And so they were able to reconcile and she said, you know, it was like making up for lost time. And so she would come to the facility, do the laundry, clean up a room, do whatever her mom needed. And she would take her mom out of the facility over the weekend to her home to play games. She'd cook for her and they would just go into the night talking and just catching up about life. And then she shared some unpleasant things, a frustration she had with her family members. Uh, who were just trying to push medication. She was frustrated at the staff because they were trying to push medication. And as I just kept listening and listening and listening, finally, it clicked. What clicked was I was able to discern what the true intent and the desire of her heart was. So I said, hey, can I reflect back to you what I think I'm hearing? And she said, sure. I said, This year that you've had with your mom has been like a year like none other. And she said, yeah. And I said, it feels like you're making up for lost time. She said, absolutely. And I said, are you really getting frustrated at the people around you? Because every time they give her pain medication, your mom goes into kind of a coma-like state where she's not able to wake up. And she's like, yeah. And you feel like they're ripping you off. 
of the last moments that you can have with your mom and the time spent with her. And the floodgates opened up and she just started the ball. Because I was able to name and discern what she was really trying to communicate. I want to serve my mom and I want her to see, I want her to feel and know that I love her because I'm making up for lost time. And she was probably in her 50s, the daughter. You know, when you take those skills of deep listening and you apply it to the text that we're about to read today, you see something very, very special. So I want you to put on your listening ears and I want you to see if you can identify the particular themes and the words that James, the brother of Jesus, uses over and over and over. Because if you do, you're going to be able to capture his heart and what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate. So are you ready? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say that they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who's naked and has never enough food to eat. What good is it if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Now, someone might claim, you have faith, I have actions. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. It's good that you believe that God is one. Ha! Even the demons believe this. They tremble with fear. Are you so slow? Do you need to be shown that faith without actions has no value at all? What about Abraham, our father? Wasn't he shown to be righteous through his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? See, his faith was at work along with his actions. In fact, his faith was made complete by his faithful actions. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and God regarded him as righteous. What is more, Abraham was called God's friend. So you see, a person is shown to be righteous through faithful actions and not faith alone. In the same, same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous when she received the messengers as her guest and then sent them on their way by another road? As the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. Did you catch it? James is saying in many different ways, with many different words, examples, metaphors, and illustrations, that when faith is accompanied by works, it is life-giving. Or he specifically says, faith without works is dead. Now, you don't have to be a religious person or a Jesus follower to know that principle. Because in our world, we hear words like this that illustrate that truth. That talk is cheap. 
And actions speak louder than words, right? I can imagine all the couples are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Actions speak louder than words. And that's what James is trying to say. Actions are louder than words. They're more effective than words. They can bring about the things that Jesus intends. And so what James is capturing for us here is that when we follow through with faithful action, we actually step into God's design and purpose for our lives. And so when we put faith and works together and live that out, we become people who are in line with God's design and purpose. And what that means, a person who is on purpose and has purpose is a person is who is happy, fulfilled, and has meaning, and they have an extra step in their bounce at this thing called life. So to illustrate that, Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So once again, when we're living out God's purposes in our life by faithful action, we're living on purpose. And purposeful people are happy people. Now you may be wondering, what are these good works? What are the things that we're supposed to do? Well, I can give you an exhaustive list, but that way it may not always connect with you. When you're living on purpose and you're living in obedience to what you know God is saying and what God says to be true, you take risks and you put into action your faith. The things that you find yourself doing are the things that I think the Bible would describe as good works. So that might be you're hanging out at a restaurant and you're talking to your server and you're living on purpose and you don't treat the server just as a server, but as a human being made in the image of God. And you say, hello, what is your name? That might be good works. Maybe it's just being a generous person. Maybe it's advocacy work. Maybe it's being a mentor. The list goes on and on. But when you live in purpose and live on purpose, you'll be able to discover what these works really are. And the ultimate purpose of these work, believe it or not, isn't your own happiness. That's a part of it. But the bigger thing is to get people pointed in God's direction. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now, to illustrate that faith without works is useless, it's dead, it's good for nothing, brings us to verse 15, where James gives us an example of somebody in the faith community who is naked or, you know, maybe it's cold and there's an Arctic winter blast. They don't have enough clothes to wear and they're hungry and you see them and you know that you, you hear rumors about this person and your response, I'll be praying for you. Or your response, man, we, we really need to pray away this, this cold spell or this heat wave or man, I really hope things work out for you for your good. Man, that really sucks. You know what James' response to that? He's like, hey, that doesn't work. 
That kind of faith is useless. You see someone in need, go and do something about it. Meet them in a practical way. Because faith without works doesn't work. If you want to know what you really believe about Jesus, like here's like a faith test. How we respond to those who are needy reveals what we really believe about Jesus. So let me say that again, because you got to think about that. The way in which we respond to those who are in real need reveals what we actually believe about Jesus. So how do you treat those who are needy? That's going to show you what you really believe about Jesus. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, Jesus gives this parable to illustrate that point. He says, there was once a king who was hungry. I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then those who were righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick and in prison? And then the king will reply, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it to me. See, what you do with those who are really in need, what you're actually doing is you're revealing your heart for Jesus. So that was just a little extra. I digress. So coming back, maybe you're not convinced. Maybe um, you're one who says, no, it's really not about works, brother, but it really is about faith because faith is about knowledge. It's about having robust theology, correct doctrine, core beliefs, and being convicted of that, right? Some of you guys may be kind of in that camp. And let me challenge you because what James is doing here is specifically challenging these brothers and sisters in his faith community. He says, listen, you believe that God is one. In verse 19, and then he replies very sarcastically, ha, meaning like, oh, that's, that's so dumb, right? And people are going to be offended by this back in the day because what he was referring to was Deuteronomy 6 is known as the, the great Shema. In Hebrew, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. This was a passage that was taught to little kids all the way into, into adults. And they would recite this every day that our God is one, that we are a monotheistic religion. We don't believe in a plurality of gods. We believe God is one. And it was a pretty big deal in that day and age where everybody believed everything was a God. And he's saying, so you have robust theology. You can exegete that passage. You have great beliefs. He says, great. Then that means that your faith rises to that of demons. So you have demonic faith, right? How encouraging, how encouraging is that? And what he's saying is that, listen, even demons believe that God is one. Demons believe that Jesus is the son of God. Demons believe that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected, and is now ascended to heaven. They believe this. And not only that, but they can explain it better than any historian or theologian. And on top of that, they think about the fact that God is one and they shudder. It literally means the hair stick on end on their skin, even though they don't have skin. It's a metaphor. 
They have strong emotions attached to what they know to be true. But the faith of demons is useless. It accomplishes nothing God's purposes. So if you have faith, you believe, you have robust theology, but there's no actions, well, you have faith that at the level of demons. Are you offended? I don't know if you're not too offended by that. He's just getting to the point. So lastly, I want to give this illustration. When you combine the two, it actually strengthens the person and strengthens the people around you. I have a three-year-old son, and I like to put him on high places, and I like to ask him to jump into my arms. So I do this quite often, put him on ladders, but I make sure my wife's not around because she's like, what are you doing? Right? I'll put him on something like a kitchen counter or a ladder, and I'll say to him, Eliam, you know daddy will catch you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, daddy. And so then what I'll do is I'll take three steps back, and I'll open up my arms, and I'll say, Eliam, jump. And then immediately his response is he'll hold whatever he's holding or, you know, he'll kind of crouch down, get a little bit more um, secure footing. And he says, no, dad, I'm scared. But I said, but daddy will catch you. And so what I'll do is I'll get right, you know, maybe six inches in front of him and I'll say jump and then he'll jump. And by putting into action what he believed about me that I'll catch him, it builds his faith up a little bit. It strengthens it. And so you know what I'll do next, right? I'll put him right back onto that platform and I'll take six feet or six steps backwards and I'll say jump, right? And then he freaks out. And so then what do I do? I'll come about maybe three feet and then he jumps into my arms. And then usually what I'll do, just, just, to, just to play around with him, I'll go maybe about 10 feet away from him. And at this point, he knows I'm not going to be able to catch him, right? And I say, jump, right? And he's, he's, he's about to jump because his faith is strengthened. And then I say, no, 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 you got to stop because he's going to drop and he's going to break something. And so I come closer, pick him up. And then he's like, daddy, more, 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 more. And I have to say, I'm too tired. We can't do this anymore. But when we put into action what we believe, what we know to be true, it strengthens and reinforces that belief system. And that's why it's actually really life-giving when we follow through the things that we know to be true about God and what God is asking us to do. James gives two illustrations. Abraham, Old Testament guy who is asked by God to sacrifice his one and only beloved son. So he does. And right as he's about to sacrifice his son, he hears a voice from heaven that says, don't do it. Abraham's faith and trust in God was deepened. There's another illustration of Rahab the prostitute. The Israelites came into the city called Jericho, a couple of spies. And there was rumor in the city that there were spies and they were looking for them. And so they ended up in a brothel, Rahab's place of business, right? And I'm sure they told Rahab all these wonderful stories about God, how, about how God was going to do something miraculous. He was going to provide for his people and they were going to take over the land. And listen, she was a pagan prostitute, so her concept of God was completely like twisted, wrong theology, her doctrine was off, but she had a little glimpse into who God was. And you know what she did? She acted on that, and she showed the Israelite spies the way out of the city to ultimately save her and to save the people. And what happened? Her faith and her trust in God, even as skewed as it was, it grew and it deepened and it was strengthened. When we put faith into action, it's life-giving not just for us, 
but for everybody else around us. Now you're probably wondering what happened to that patient's daughter. Well, after I left the room, I got noticed a couple days later that her mom had passed away. And so I picked up the phone and I called her and it went straight to voicemail. And then I called her brother, who was the other POA, and asked how it was. And he said it was still difficult for his sister. She was very reluctant in giving pain medication and whatnot to her mom. But the family, the sister and her siblings, as her mom was nearing end of life, they were able to sit in the room, share stories, cry with one another, and sing the favorite songs of her mom. Something tells me, because they put faith into action, that the mom's heart was smiling from here to there. You want to know what else puts a smile on God's face? When you and I lean into faith with action. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but he's speaking to you. And he's asking you to trust him, to take a leap of faith, to respond with a yes, and experience what you and I may call a mini resurrection. Thanks again for listening today with us. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or want to contact Whitewater Church, you can reach out to us at info at whitewaterchurch.org or click on contact in our show notes. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time.